I worked with Bill Bavese, um, who I mentioned earlier, Bob's brother. And so I talked to Bill at the commissioner's office. I said, hey, I'm going to leave NLB soon. We're going to move back home. And um, this is my idea. And I told him about the uh, the DR baseball travel. And he said, um, and, and he had mentioned to me earlier about his brother in, in Japan. And so I said, hey, can you introduce me to Bob? Because I want to talk to him about baseball tourism and how he does his trips. And, you know, maybe I can pick his brain about what he thinks about my idea. And uh, so that led to Bob uh, inviting me to come to Japan in 2018 uh, on the tour. He said, hey, I'll teach you what I know. How about you um, come along with me and help me out and I'll show you the ropes and just kind of we'll travel around and I could use a helping and I'll, I'll teach you what I know along the way. So I did that and I loved it. And uh, it turns out Bob was kind of holding a tryout for me without me knowing it because he was looking for someone else to take over the business. Um, so once that worked out and once Bob let me know what his intentions were and we developed a rapport, then I put my um, you know DR baseball team travel idea on hold and focus on Japan ball. And uh, you know, about a year, just over a year later is when um, we completed the, uh, the process of me becoming the owner of Japan ball. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Japan Sports Sports Talk podcast. We're doing it live on Twitter. Thank you for joining live or tuning in after we recorded. We have a special guest today, Shane Barclay, president of Japan Ball. Welcome to the show, Shane. Thanks, Ed. Good to talk to you. We've had a couple of conversations before, but it's been a while. Yeah, it certainly has, but it's been nice keeping in touch, at least uh, online via Twitter and all of these different social media apps we have. <laughs> I'd like, like to give readers, listeners, I should say, an introduction to you and Japan Bowl. So without further ado, how about you just give us a brief introduction on what your organization does and what you do? Sure. Um, Japan Ball is the leader in international baseball tourism. And I would say a leader in Japanese baseball news and information and content in the English language. What is the company's history chain? Japan Ball was founded in 1999 by Bob Bavesi. Bob comes from the legendary Bavesi baseball family. His father won a bunch of World Series with the Dodgers as the general manager. Um, his brothers have been general managers and presidents of multiple major league baseball teams. And Bob was not so much involved in the baseball operations side. He was more into the business side of things. And he owned um, the, well, he founded the Everett Aqua Sox minor team and, and owned mm-hmm. other uh, minor and college uh, um, baseball league entities. And he started, he started Japan ball in 1999 um, because he really liked the Japanese style of baseball from not just from the style of play. Like you said, he's more of, he sees things more from the business side. He loved the way the Japanese um, baseball experience presents the game from an entertainment and fan perspective. Mm-hmm. And so he started bringing, he's actually for, first time he went over to Japan with a group. He brought over a bunch of minor league baseball operators, like general managers and whatnot to show them the Japanese baseball experience. And they had so much fun that, um, they made it an annual thing and he just started bringing fans over to Japan. 
And as a way to, you know, he loved Japanese baseball and, and the culture all around it. So he started um, putting the word out more with a website and, um, and other avenues to kind of spread the good word about Japanese baseball to English speaking baseball fans. Um, so that, that's how it kind of started. And it's, it just grew from there, kind of had to go to mind of its own at the time. You know, this is 99, so it was after Hideo Nomo came over to us, but before Ichiro, before Hideki Matsui, and, um, and all the rest. So Japanese baseball was something that the average American had maybe heard of, but didn't know much about. And um, there wasn't a whole lot out there to learn about Japanese baseball. So um, Japan ball was one of the few things out there we could learn about the teams and the stadiums. And, um, you know, if anyone learns about Japanese baseball that, um, hasn't been there, they're pretty soon going to feel the need to want to go to Japan. So, um, so then they would come on a Japan ball tour and Bob would take groups around the country, go into baseball games and, uh, experiencing Japanese culture through baseball. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how it got it started. And Bob carried that on for 20 years. Um, and then he, I started working with him around 2018. Um, and soon thereafter, Bob was looking to retire and, and I took over for him right at the start of um, 2020. Approximately how many people have gone on baseball tours in the totality of uh, Japan Bulls years? Um, that's, I wouldn't be able to give you a specific number without digging into my files, but I would venture to say um, well over you know, 500 or so, you know, less than 1,000. Mm-hmm. probably over 500 over the years. Um, you know, our average tour, you know, historically Bob would do one tour and then maybe two if the NLB season had opening day in Japan, which, you know, they do every so often. So in those years, he'd do, he would do two tours and I've continued that same schedule more or less, which we'll get into, I'm sure. But um, each tour would, would have, you know, maybe between 15 and then at the most, like 35 or even 40 people and not everyone would be there at the same time. We break it up into different segments, but yeah, so that, that much averaged over about 20 years, I'd say you're getting close to 500. And um, I I should say though, a lot of people come back and um, we have some guests who have come five, six, seven times. One guy who has come 12 times on our tours because, you know, the the thing is I I always say, um, because it's true, you know, they come our tour for the baseball and they come back for the camaraderie. You know, because you're traveling with a group of people who have two things in common. They have a love for baseball and they have a sense of curiosity and, and adventure that leads them to want to travel the world. So, you know, you have those in common and you're going to hit it off right away with everyone. Um, and so, yeah, that's really ends up being the best part of our tours for most people is um, traveling around and having this experience with with new friends and then you know, these are people who become lifetime friends in many instances. Okay. Let's rewind here for a bit, Shane. Specifically talk about your life a little bit. Yeah. I want to ask you about baseball, of course. What What is a brief discussion in your mind, a brief overview of your baseball fandom? And how did that lead you to become a president of a tour company? Share maybe some of your jobs you've had in the past connected to baseball. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy. Um, I, I've loved baseball my entire life. Um, I can't remember a single singular moment when it hit me, but 
Um, you know, aside from uh, my family, you know, it's been my lifelong, my true love, my whole life. Um, and uh, so that, you know, you can put that at age, you know, four years old or whatever it may be. Um, I, like many, wanted to be a major league baseball player, aspired to, to play third base in, in the big leagues and worked as hard as I could for that and um, was an okay player. But, you know, it, it, it quickly became apparent in high school that um, I wasn't going to be a big leaguer. So I, at that point, um, I think it was my sophomore year in high school that the book Moneyball came out. And that book really was influential to me. It really, I mean, I guess you could say it changed my life because that showed me that it was possible to be in baseball, to work in baseball without being a baseball player. Um, the front office had kind of opened up to people outside of the, the old guard, former players and coaches. And um, there's a new movement to, to hire, you know, educated young I was soon to be. So that was really inspiring to me. And I even wrote my college application essay about Moneyball and how I wanted to use my college degree to, uh, to find a job in baseball. So that's, um, that's what got me help get me into college. Like I would think so without that. And, um, I was lucky enough to have a class. At, I went to Cal Berkeley, um, in a class with Sandy Alderson, a longtime baseball executive, um, and I studied abroad in the, in the Dominican Republic. So that, that combination of things helped me land a job, an internship with the Arizona Diamondbacks. That was my first job out of college. And then, um, meanwhile, lucky enough, Sandy was hired to run Major League Baseball's Dominican Republic office. And like I said, I had studied abroad there. So then Sandy hired me to go work down in the DR. That was, you know, full-time job after interning with the Diamondbacks and, um, working for the commission office uh, in their Santo Domingo office. Um, unfortunately, uh, Sandy was hired to work for the Mets as their general manager the day that I started on the job. So I never got to work for him, but I do uh, thank him for getting me that first job. And um, I was down in the DR for a couple of years um, working in, in international baseball operations and kind of the, the international market for, for amateur players was, was our, and then from there, um, I got called up, if you may, to the New York office in the same department um, and worked out of the New York office for about six or seven years um, under Kim Ang, who uh, is a boss that I respect very much. And she's now the general manager of the Miami Marlins. She's the first um, woman and the first Asian or at least Asian uh, general manager of a baseball team. So I'm very proud of that and, and um, proud that I got to work for her. Um, let, me, let me, let me yeah, pause you for a second, Shane, before you continue your, some of your career info. Yeah. What, what is baseball operations involved? What are some of the things that you had to do? Well, the answer to the first part of your question, you know, baseball operations in general, I'd say is, is the department, in any baseball entity that deals stuff that happens on the field. Um, so, you know, in any organization, the commissioners are included um, in any major league or NPB team, you know, the baseball operations department is actually not necessarily the biggest department um, or necessarily the most influential department. Um, but, you know, we're the ones that would deal with things on the field. So with the international side of things, um, 
we, you know, I was based in Latin America and the Caribbean. So what we would do, uh, being in the commissioner's office, we worked for the 30, 30 teams through our bosses technically. Um, mm-hmm. And so we would help them do jobs of acquiring players. And, and that means a lot of things. It means doing things like um, putting on events that allow them um, a neutral and a quality platform to scout players, which is hard to do in Latin America. It means doing uh, age and identity investigations and, and steroid testing on prospects to make sure players that are being acquired are, um, you know, clean for lack of a better term. Um, it means promoting the game in certain countries where maybe the game uh, where baseball is not, is not the number one sport around. Um, so we would look at it in on a country by country basis, you know, a country like Japan, they don't really need any help or to be honest, want any help, you know, developing the game in Japan. Um, so, and they have their own professional league and we have agreements in place to respect their players and, and not try to pry their amateur players. So we'd stay most, for the most part away from Japan, except for when it came to, you know, comes to acquiring players that we all know about, you know, as guys who are transferred or stayed to major league teams. Um, so that's one end of the spectrum. And then you have um, countries in South America or Europe or, you know, Australia and, and even Africa where we'd help develop the game and promote the game from a grassroots level and give opportunities to those players who maybe show a little bit of promise, even if that um, means, you know, being sort of college coaches. Um, and then you have countries like the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, um, Puerto Rico, places like that where baseball is a big part of their culture. And that's where mm-hmm. we were active. Um, we were really just trying to help. I'd say that the biggest thing was, is trying to help the MLB teams make educated and, um, informed decisions in acquiring players um, from the amateur ranks in Latin America. So that's a, you know, we could go on for a long time getting in depth about that, but um, that's a, I guess an overview and I'd be happy to answer any more specific questions if you have them. (laughs) I think it was a very helpful experience for you working with MLB officers both in New York and uh, down in the Dominican. Yeah. It was a fantastic experience, um, you know, to work in the game I love and um, be able to travel the world for baseball purposes. I, I honestly uh, couldn't have drawn it up any better. <laughs> so what led from MLB, what led you going from MLB to eventually, um, you know, working with Bob at Japan Bowl? So I, this is around 2018. Um, I got married in 2017. My wife, Jesse, and I are both from uh, Cupertino, California, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we had long desired to move back home to California. You know, we're both in the same place. Um, so that was at the, the top of our mind. And um, due to basically just family dynamics, we the time was the time had come to where we thought it made sense to move back home. And at that point, I was... You know, I wanted to still work in baseball, but I didn't really want to just go anywhere. Like I, I wanted, I wanted to do it on my own terms. And I, I sat there and I thought, like, what are what are the things that I like the most about my job? It is and and I guess kind of overlapping with that, what are the things I'm the best at in my job, and and what can I do that combines those things? 
And what I really liked doing was putting on events and trips. So we would, for example, get a put together a team of Puerto Rican high school aged players and bring them to spring training to play games against uh, the low level league teams at spring training um, and put on big showcase events for the best prospects in Latin America, things like that. And I just, and I liked all the, the, the logistics and the dynamics and um, the moving parts and the dealing with different people and, and creating something special. Um, I really like that. So um, I couldn't really think of exactly how to put that into play other than to kind of uh, create my own thing. So my idea was I was going to bring um, high school baseball teams or travel ball teams to the Dominican Republic to have um, team building baseball trips. And, you know, have, have, I was lucky enough to go on some team trips. Actually, I went to Japan and China for lacrosse in college. I went to Hawaii for my, with my base team and uh, I played water polo too. And we did some traveling. I just loved the team travel. So I wanted to create that for other high school and college, I should say, um, mm-hmm. teams in the Dominican Republic would be a perfect place to go. You can do community service. It's an amazing baseball culture. Um, so I was really excited about that. And I worked with Bill Bavese, um, who I mentioned earlier, Bob's brother. And so I talked to Bill at the commissioner's office. I said, Hey, I'm going to leave NLB soon. We're going to move back home. And, um, this is my idea. And I told him about the, uh, the DR baseball travel. And he said, um, and, and he had mentioned to me earlier about his brother in, in Japan. And so I said, Hey, can you introduce me to Bob? Cause I want to talk to him about baseball tourism and how he does his trips. And, you know, maybe I can pick his brain about what he thinks about my idea. And, uh, so that led to Bob, uh, inviting me to come to Japan in 2018, uh, on the tour. And he said, Hey, I'll teach you what I know. How about you, um, come along with me and help me out and I'll show you the ropes and just kind of, we'll travel around and I could use a helping and I'll, I'll teach you what I know along the way. So I did that and I loved it. And uh, it turns out Bob was kind of holding a tryout for me without me knowing it because he was looking for someone else to take over the business. Um, so once that worked out and once Bob let me know what his intentions were and we developed a rapport, then I put my, um, you know, DR baseball team travel idea on hold and focus on Japan ball. And, uh, you know, about a year, just over a year later is when, um, we completed the, uh, the process of me becoming the owner of Japan ball. Thank you for the detail. You started a new responsibility for yourself as president, you know, right before essentially the, the pandemic began. So you probably had some goals in mind for the company and then the reality of travel restrictions and everything else compounded by COVID probably forced you to, um, actually did force you to, to um, scale down a bit. So what did you basically do in 2020 to 2022? Yeah, what did the company was quite, do? that was quite a shocker to me. You know, basically signed the paperwork and, you know, we had Bob and I communicated what the plan was and, you know, which to answer that part of the question, my intention was just to, for the most part, to keep it as is to start with, you know, I didn't want to mess with a good thing. And I did want to add some more tours and Dominican Republic tour and, you know, I had some small ideas, maybe, maybe work on the website, things like that. Um, but really it's just focused on putting the tours on. And um, once COVID became a thing, I, I kind of was like, oh, it'll go away. And, you know, just one was, we were really unsure about it when it started. And I just kept holding out hope that, 
things would go away. But unfortunately, things just kept getting worse. Um, so I, I decided to to focus on one on one hand doing things like rebuilding the website um, and maybe doing some more back end kind of administrative stuff to uh, to make things smoother. Which you know things that Bob and I knew needed to happen probably would have been pushed aside in favor of our tours. It's the boring part of the answer to your question, but um, really I focused on, okay, if we're not going to be traveling, not going to be um, doing our tours, how can now we still be engaged with our community? You know, you had asked me earlier how many people had got on our tours, um, you know, many hundreds, and there's many more than that, hundreds more into the thousands of people who, um, interacted with us in one another. You know, Japan Ball has a ticketing arm. We sell tickets um, in Japan as well for for English-speaking tourists and expats living in Japan. And so we have a really big community. And I wanted to engage with and grow that community because we weren't going to be able to travel together um, or go to games together. And um, you know, one way to do that, which uh, is almost obligatory from a business point of view, I actually had some fun with it, was creating social media platforms. Uh, so created an Instagram account, created a Twitter account, um, our Facebook, we had a Facebook page, but, you know, brought it back to life. And, um, so connected people online that way, but that really didn't really feel like enough for me. So I started, um, you know, as everyone was doing zoom calls during the beginning of COVID. And, um, so I started doing zoom, a, a zoom speaker series. Um, I called it chatter up and, it took a beautiful thing where it was an online space where not only could, um, you, you know, participants learn from and, and interact with different guests that I had, um, mostly utilizing my connections from major league baseball and, and also just, you know, cold calling and reaching out to people, um, was able to get some pretty, um, it, if I must say, uh, pretty impressive names. I was very proud to get some of the guests on that I did, but, Beyond that, it was just a way for people to gather and talk baseball when there was no baseball and and kind of just have a break from, you know, the negative news cycle and the doom and gloom and whatnot and just get online and see some familiar faces or or, or not familiar faces, at least friendly faces on Zoom. And um, yeah, like I said, talk baseball, we all love to do. Um, so yeah, the Chatter Up series, I, you know, I did it for, I want to say maybe a year and a half. Um, I didn't think it was going to last that long, but, um, it, it was just, there were so many good guests to have and a lot of loyal participants who signed in every time. So I kept it going. Um, and those are all archived online. I urge anyone to check them out. Uh, we had, you know, people I've mentioned already, Sandy Alderson and Kim Ang were on, um, Bobby Valentine was our first guest, which was a really fun one, you know, just such a great ambassador of, of both the Japanese and American versions of baseball. and. Um, a bunch of former players, authors, filmmakers, um, you know, you name it. We've had, uh, had scouts, legendary scouts that have come on. Um, and they all, you know, I tried to have people who had a connection to Japanese baseball or at least international baseball in some sort. And, um, you know, baseball really is a unifying game. It's a global game. And the chatter up was a great platform to, uh, to demonstrate that. One, one thing that was very effective about it was the variety of guests, former players, managers, executives. You had a couple, you had at least one scout on there. So people got to understand a lot about the operations of baseball. Yeah. 
yeah, that was my goal. You know, I, I I'm lucky enough to have been exposed to um, a lot of different parts of baseball and, and just doing baseball in so many ways, my whole life, you know, different media. And I wanted to share that with people and, and um, you know, baseball, any baseball person, if they're big or small, they love talking baseball. So, you know, it, it wasn't that ask um, even with, well, you know, I thought maybe for some people it would be a big ask and they were so happy to do it because, you know, the, the people in our community are, are baseball purists. You know, they love the game for, um, for all the right reasons. And, and, uh, yeah, the, the, our, our speakers, I think always felt that when they were on. In 2022, what I saw was your focus a bit on the United States market as well for tourists. How did that go, you know, up and down the California coast and just exposing people to your company in that market? Yeah, I planned that because at the beginning of 2022 and end of 2021, there was still um, far from assuring that we'd be able to travel internationally and especially to Japan. Um, and, you know, the U.S. had eased travel restrictions or at least you know there, there were never too many restrictions domestically in the u.s so i said i'm going to plan a usa trip um just to make sure we can do something and i was pretty ambitious going all up and down the west coast um seattle san francisco uh los angeles and san diego um and i wanted to do it also just as kind of like a barnstorming or you know to to get out there to interact a lot of our community just kind of tends to reside on the West coast. Um, and so I wanted to, to make sure that I could go out and see some people in games with people that are long time Japan ballers and in, and people as well. And yeah, it was, I will say that somehow planning things in the U S is like more difficult than planning it in Japan, even as an American, it's like, I don't know. So it's, it was not easy to plan, but it ended up in a lot of fun. And I'm glad I did it. And it was not something that I did because, you know, there's a big business opportunity or, or it was something particularly unique. You know, there's, there's other baseball tourism companies out there. It's just something I did because I wanted to get out there and, and interact. And, um, you know, we had, like I said, the people in our community are baseball purists. So we went to minor leagues, we went to major league games and we just had a lot of fun going to games and talking and um, talking to each other. And then I was able to plan some, unique experiences meeting with, you know, special guests going to, um, you know, baseball and non-baseball sites that, that I thought were, uh, places that people would be entertained by and could learn, you know, have some, uh, you know, experience something new, you know, going to unique baseball training centers and, and, um, going to certain restaurants that I love or visiting, uh, Joe DiMaggio's the home where he was born in and, <laughs> And, you know, things like that. So we tried to make it unique and, and, um, yeah, it was, it was tons of fun. I'm glad I did. And we're actually, um, doing a more just a version of that just in Washington state this year. Cause yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, and to be honest, part of my reason for doing the USA travel and, and doing it last year and this year is I really want to get a feel for, for how much, um, for, I guess I want to get good at it is a way of putting it and make sure I enjoy it because I want to start bringing Japanese baseball fans to the u.s and um i know that there's japanese baseball 
the companies or Japanese travel companies that offer baseball packages. But I want to offer something a bit more unique where we go to minor league games or you know, have a more kind of local experience along mm-hmm. with the, the MLB games too. So yeah, that, that's all been part of the plan. And uh, I don't think we're going to quite get there this year, but you know, looking at next year to hopefully bring Japanese fans over. We'll, we'll discuss the WBC in a minute or two here. But can you first uh, highlight a little bit other initiatives, including uh, Dominican, Dominican tours, South Korea, Europe, perhaps Australia? Yeah, so at this point, the Dominican Republic is, is part of our annual tour offerings. Um, it's just such a great baseball destination. And, and having lived there, I can create a really insider experience. And um, so that, that's, that happens every year in November. Um, we're offering South Korea for the first time this year. It's just going to be a quick to Seoul. Uh, we'll go mm-hmm. to four games around Seoul and that's right before Japan tour. So it's designed so that if people want to go to Korea, um, and experience that they can do that and go to Japan as well. So that's September. Um, I'm really excited to do that. And, and, you know, eventually maybe we'll expand Korea to, to go to more games, but, um, you know, Korean baseball is, is excellent for, a lot of reasons that are similar to Japan and, and in their own ways as, as well. Um, and then, yeah, we're doing USA and uh, going up to Alaska for the midnight sun game, which happens on the summer solstice every year in Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, first pitch is at 10 PM and they never turn on the lights because the sun never sets on the summer solstice. So that'll be a really fun one. Um, and then the last tour offering um, that we've done recently that we'll bring we'll every other year is going to the Netherlands uh, for a big tournament they have there every year. So, um, oh, and, and I, I almost forgot, uh, next year we'll be going to Okinawa for spring training, uh, for Japanese, um, uh, NPB spring training in Okinawa mm-hmm. in February. So yeah, that's our kind of full offering. Um, and, uh, I, I would love to talk a lot about all, but for now, maybe I just say, uh, go to japanball.com if, if anyone is intrigued by any of those options. Okay. In 2015, were you intimately connected with the WBC at all? Work-wise or as a fan? And what were your initial impressions of the WBC? And how has that grown? Evolved, I guess, your opinion of the event? Yeah, my first... So 2006, it was the first WBC. And, and uh, I definitely remember watching it as a fan in 2006 and 2009. Um, I was... I had studied abroad in the DR um, when 2009 came around. So that was like when I really was first invested in it. And I thought it was cool, but I hadn't really been exposed so thoroughly to uh, the beauty of international baseball. Um, And then I was lucky enough in 2013, that was shortly after I had, um, as I mentioned, I got called up to the New York office from the Dominican Republic and, and being an international baseball operations, um, that was a big part of our job every four years. Uh, well, really, I guess it's every couple of years because they have the qualifiers and you have to work on everything for a year ahead of time. So every couple of years, the World Baseball Classic is a big part of our job. And so I worked um, on the 2013 tournament. Um, I was just kind of an administrative help and then went to the games in Taiwan to uh, to help with uh, kind of the enforcement of pitch, you know, p- counting pitches is a big part of WBC and enforcing the pitch count rules and whatnot. So I was helping out just a little bit, getting the feel for things. And then um, 
in the 2016 qualifiers and the 2017 main tournament, I was very heavily involved in my job. Um, World Baseball Classic was my main focus for a solid um, year or two leading up to the tournament. And um, I was kind of the, the roster manager and helped with the rules and regulations committee and, and just kind of helping with anything that, you know, once again, more in baseball operations side, things that have to do more with what happens on the field. Uh, with rosters rules and um, you know coaching uh, kind of helping get clearance on the coaching staffs and um, dealing with the coaching staff to make sure they understand the unique aspects of the tournament um, really it's an all hands on deck operation the world baseball classic is and you know major league baseball is is the main and puts on puts on the event as far as from an operational perspective so yeah it's heavily involved in um you know, to ask you, answer your question about how, you know, my view on the tournament, I, mean, I, I love it. Um, it's, it's, it's a unique thing to see the, the pride in that players pe- play with when they're wearing their feet across their chest. Um, the, the camaraderie amongst the teammates and the, the passion with which they play is something that you don't see, um, pretty much anywhere else in, in baseball. And it's, yeah, it's just a treat to watch, you know, the magical things in world baseball so can legends are made and um, entire countries are tuned in to watch it. You know, being in the United States that hasn't been as popular um, until the last one, I think is when people really started to catch on, but around the world, you know, it's a really big deal. Um, so, you know, and the whole country, is is locked into this and the lead up to it is is highly anticipated so yeah it's it's just a wonderful event and i think the momentum is really carrying into to this year's tournament you know the 2023 world baseball classic which i'm fortunate enough to continue to work on uh as a consultant and contractor for for major league baseball is i mean it, it's going to be the biggest and best one yet that's for sure like the star power the hype the exposure it's it's being broadcast on fox in the united states which is going to give it lots of eyeballs in the u.s and um in japan with shohei otani playing in it into all the the stable of stars they have on their team um it just c- couldn't get any bigger so um yeah i can't wait to uh to get out there and see what happens yield do you have a favorite wbc story connected to team japan from the PS4, you know, tournaments? I would say that from a fan perspective, um, when Ichiro got the hit in the top of the 10th inning um, against Korea in the final in, in um, 2009, mm-hmm. nine, right? Not sick, yeah, 2009. To win, to win the event, you know, I mean, that's like, that's as good as it gets with WBC to have you know, Ichiro, who was maybe the best player in the world at the time, um, doing it for his home country in extra innings in a tie game and getting the game-winning hit. So, yeah, that one certainly stands out. Um, I would also say Dodger Stadium when Team Japan was playing in the last WBC um, in the semifinals. They didn't win, but the whole uh, bleacher section became an Owen Don, and all the American fans' their minds were blown with the Owen Don uh, singing the songs and 
playing the percussion for all the all the players on the Japanese team when they were up to bat. And that was just a really cool thing to see the kind of Japanese baseball experience come to Los Angeles, the Dodger Stadium. Okay. Final question for you, Shane. I know you've got a busy schedule this week. If you were in charge of the WBC Classic, the World Baseball Classic, I should say, if you were the man in charge of everything, would you want the schedule to be a little bit different? Perhaps midsummer, or do you think it's good to have it before the season starts? If I were if I were the person in charge, I would say that the one change I would make is I would have the semifinals and finals in during the all-star break. I think that you could, it would be too much to have the whole tournament in the middle of the season. I just, you know, from a realistic perspective, I don't see the whole, all the leagues in the world, namely, you know, major league baseball who puts on the event. I, I just don't really see them shutting down for long enough to put on the whole event. Um, I think spring training makes sense compared to doing it um, after this you know, because mm-hmm. I think having players ramp up a little bit earlier to get ready for gameplay is more realistic from a health perspective than asking them to just kind of hang on for another month you know, in November, for example. Um, so I think it makes sense to do it in the spring. Um, it, it kind of is more in tune with the rhythms of the game. Um, but I think that if you could have the games in the middle of the season, when baseball, you know, in the spring, baseball is not on everyone's minds yet. You know, it's, it's, the sports fan, the rhythms are are not so geared for like baseball being the main thing necessarily. So I love the idea of having it in the middle of the summer during the all-star game. And and I think I would hope, you know, this is just me as putting my fans hat on um, that maybe you get even a higher percentage of the best players um, willing to participate because, and the teams, you know, the major league teams, who have those players under contract, I think might be more willing to let them play uh, because they're in game shape at that point. You know, you're, you're not asking them to play full intensity, um, you know, world championship level baseball um, in March, which I know for some people, players and, and team owners who are paying those players, you know, that maybe makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable. If for example, a player is coming off of an injury or maybe it's an older player who historically maybe needs a little bit more time to get ready for the season. You know, maybe they they don't love the idea of them playing in March, but if you ask them, Hey, can you play in the semifinals and finals? So one games um, in July, you know, maybe they, maybe uh, you get a couple more. I wouldn't put the, I mean, you got Mike Trout playing, you got Shohei Otani playing, you got all the sorts of star players playing. I think it's really just about the showcase, you know, and, and having, all the eyes on that event. So that's not an idea that I've <laughs> really dissected from every angle. It's just an idea that um, someone had mentioned to me and I thought was a fun one. Um, to be completely honest, I don't think the tournament needs any significant changes. I, the thing, the best thing it can have going for it is to continue to um, continue the momentum it has. You know, there's only um, four world baseball classics right now. This will be the fifth one. So, um, it's, there's a lot, of the, it's a young tournament and it's getting better every year. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think it needs too much changing. I think it just needs to continue to mature. I, I lost track of my calendar. I actually had one final question. No problem. Go for it. 
in your this gut opinion, in your gut, your hunch, I should say, if you were to have to blurt out the top four finalists for this tournament, who will finish first, second, third, and fourth? Mm. Your favorite pick. Well, I'll start by saying who I think maybe the top four teams would be, which you've got to put Japan in there. Uh, got to put the Dominican Republic. Got to put USA. The fourth one is maybe not so clear on who it would be. Um, I think the fourth one might be a sleeper team. Um, but I'm just going to say South Korea because they're tried and true veteran team that you know they, they play together um they play together very well so i'd say those those are my top four i don't know if korea is necessarily the fourth best team by but you know the way the bracket works out and and like i said their experience i think um factors in so this is gonna be my top four as far as who wins it um i, I guess in order i put korea fourth um and man it's really tough to pick between Japan, USA, and the Dominican Republic. Um, but I, and I'm not saying this just because I'm on Sports Look <laughs> Twitter or because my company is Japan Ball, I'm going to go with Japan. I mean, they have star power bottom in their lineup. Um, and they have starting pitching, which I think cannot be beat. I think USA pitching is not so good. Uh, compared to what it could be. The Dominican Republic pitching is really top-heavy, I'd say. Um, they don't have a lot of depth, but Japan has lots of depth, and they have um, you know, the, big, the big guys at the top um, when it comes to pitching. So, um, you know, you could, have, you could have a semifinal and a final with Otani pitching, with Murakami pitching. You could have Sasaki coming out of the bullpen with some gas. Um, so, you know, trying to hit off those guys, is going to be pretty tough early in the season, especially, you know, the bats usually, you know, I, I think it's probably harder to get your timing as a hitter than it is to, to get going as a pitcher. So, uh, yeah, I think Japan is, is a force to be reckoned with and they have all the guys they, you know, they pretty much have everyone who they wanted, um, on their team. Uh, they got them, uh, with just a couple exceptions. And, um, you know, I didn't even mention you, Darvish, of course, who could be playing, starting a semifinal or final game. Um, yes, I like Japan's chances. Um, it's going to be tough with the DR and USA, assuming they make it to the semifinals. Those are three teams that are far and away the most talented. Well, let's enjoy watching and following the game soon. Yeah, certainly will. Let's do that for sure. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. And uh, look forward to future episodes where we'll discuss ball again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ed. I appreciate it. Appreciate you giving me this opportunity. And also, I appreciate all the work you're doing, um, just like us, trying to get the good word about Japanese baseball out there uh, for English speakers. So I appreciate you doing that.